0: Don't forget that you can now listen to The Politocrat Podcast on Audible at Audible.com and wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe now. And thank you for your support. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, November the 24th. 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, the most dangerous game. It's taken 16 days. 16 days. And finally, the movement toward a Joe Biden administration is being seen from the purview of Donald Trump, Emily Murphy, and the Republican Party. Plus, a dangerous game being played with black voters. That and lots more coming up next. Welcome back. This last night from Don Lemon.
1: We do start with breaking news tonight. And the breaking news is that, you ready? It is over. The desperate refusal to admit the reality everyone else has seen for 16 days now, it is over. And that is of Joe Biden and really sane America trying to wrestle democracy back. Joe Biden is the president-elect. Whether the current president likes it or not. So tonight, the transition to the Biden administration can finally, officially begin. And it couldn't happen at a better time. Thanksgiving week, folks are at home. They need to, we need, you know, to just rest instead of all the craziness. The news first on CNN coming in in a letter from a previously little known bureaucrat, that's a general services administrator, Emily Murphy. This is what Emily Murphy writes. She says, I take this role seriously. And because of recent developments involving legal challenges and certifications of election results, I am transmitting this letter today to make those resources and services available to you. Should happen a long time ago, but America will take it.
0: That was Don Lemon last night on CNN, on his show, CNN Tonight with Don Lemon. And what he said is what we've all known for 16 plus days now, that Joe Biden is president-elect and that Kamala Harris is vice president-elect. 16 days, democracy held hostage by Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Emily Murphy, and the Republican Party. That is what happened here in the United States. 16 days of a coup attempt, more than two weeks of a coup attempt. let's put this in its proper perspective. For two weeks and two days, the Republican party, the Republican party, and Donald Trump and Emily Murphy and Rudy Giuliani, and a host of others, tried to make a coup actually happen. They engineered a coup, which failed. For two weeks plus, the Republican Party tried and tried hard to overturn votes cast by Americans all over the country. Or shall I be a bit more specific than that? They tried to overturn votes cast in Detroit, in Milwaukee, in Atlanta, ...and in Philadelphia. These aren't just democratic strongholds. These are places... ...that are heavily... ...populated... ...by black... ...people. The Republican Party knows that black people vote. And the Republican Party knows... ...that of any group... Black voters, especially black women, are the group who votes with the highest percentage and highest degree of loyalty to the Democratic Party. I want to make this very clear to people who are listening, and I'm sure that many of you listening are very clear about this anyway. But I do want to make this clear. This was. An attack on black voters. This was a racist attack. On black voters. That is how. These last 16 days have gone. It was obvious, it was clear, it was blatant, and it was in your face. This was Jim Crow, 2020. This was specifically an attack on black voters, an attack on black people. Plain and simple as that. And when the Republican Party uses words like voter fraud, something that does not exist, it is almost zero. It is zero 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 five, according to a Harvard study. When those two words are used, they are used and directed specifically at the black voter. It is another way of saying the N-word. That is what this is. That is what this is. When the Republican Party, these rich white men. And the white women who do their patriarchal bidding start talking about voter fraud. I want you to keep this in mind that they are specifically talking and trying to demonize black voters. This is a racist attack on black voters saying that voter fraud is a thing, and you're saying that it is in Philadelphia, Detroit, Milwaukee, Atlanta. You are trying to say, in fact, you're not even trying, you're saying it, you're saying something racist, and you're saying that black people are criminal, that is what you are saying when you say this. When the Republican Party says voter fraud, they are trying to, or they're blatantly saying that black people are criminals and should not be voting. That's what they're saying to you. And the dishonesty of this and the racism of that is obviously clear. And what makes this so disingenuous as well as racist is that the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, John Futterman or Fetterman, a Democrat, said the other day on CNN, That he found two instances of voter fraud. Both of them. By Republicans. Both of them by white men. In North Carolina in 2018. A white man a campaign director, I believe, had been taken to court and put on trial for voter fraud, a white man in North Carolina in 2018. You may remember in 2018, that midterm election in North Carolina. And I believe it was in 2018 or early 2019, certainly, that he was actually on trial. His own son testified against him. And I think he testified as well. He started to cry and all this. Meaning the man who was on trial, I think, may have testified as well, cried his eyes out. This is the insidious and racist and dangerous game, a most dangerous game that the Republican party has been playing on black people for 60 years now. It is really important that we look at the perspective it is really important that we look at the history because the history is the present. The history is the present. The Republican Party does not care about voter fraud because the Republican Party, on the rare occasions that voter fraud happens, is the party that does the voter fraud. In Texas, a few years ago, back in 2016 or thereabouts, a white woman had been convicted of voter fraud. A Republican tried to vote twice. In another state, there was a white man who was convicted. And I will put links to some of what I'm saying so you can see this for yourself. There was another white man, I believe in Oklahoma or somewhere around that area of the country, who had also been convicted or at least arrested for voter fraud. There was another situation where there were lots of ballots being collected by Republicans that were had all kinds of false signatures on them and they were forged. There was another instance where there were Republicans who were running phantom candidates. This is something that Drew Griffin of CNN reported on yesterday, running phantom candidates in various states, including Florida, and running them as progressives or liberals. And these candidates never existed. No websites, no nothing. Yet the Republican Party in Florida, through operatives, spent lots of money putting up phantom third candidates. And that resulted in narrow victories for Republican candidates in at least three states. Or all within Florida. I don't remember exactly, but definitely this happened in Florida. One candidate literally lost a Democrat, literally lost by 32 votes. 32 votes. It was the Republican Party that funded the Green Party. Candidate Howie Hawkins That was the Republican Party Funding Howie Hawkins in several states So that he could try to Siphon off votes from Joe Biden Luckily some of the courts In some of these states said No, you're not going on the ballot Howie Hawkins When Howie Hawkins was interviewed about it he said that, yeah, well, you take, you know, when he was confronted with the fact that, yeah, you know, it's true, Republicans are funding you, aren't they? And he said, you can take, I, can, I guess I'll take help wherever I can get it. I do want people to understand that when they're voting third party, they may well be voting for a candidate that is financed and backed by the Republican Party. the Republicans have always engaged for at least the last 60 years in these kinds of illegal, frankly, tactics. And meanwhile, while that is going on, and while there are white voters in the Republican Party who are doing this, two here, two there, three over here, but they are doing it, as rare as it is, When it happens, it is happening with white voters in the Republican Party. And the Republican Party are the ones that do this, who do this. And then they turn around and go to the black communities and say, oh, there's not something quite right with your vote. There's not something quite right with you, is what they are really saying. You're black, you shouldn't vote. That is what they are saying. Purging black people off the rolls in Florida in 2000, thousands upon thousands, nearly 90,000 people, mostly black purged off the rolls by Katherine Harris, the secretary of state back then in Florida in the year 2000, certainly affected the outcome of that election between Bush and Gore. Atlanta, Georgia, in particular, in the year 2018, purging of black voters that could have propelled Stacey Abrams to the governorship in Georgia, would have been the first black woman as governor anywhere in the United States in the history of the country the purging of black votes in numerous other places all over the country, in Ohio, in Texas, in Florida, everywhere. And all that is happening to black voters is that our votes are being stolen. This is the most dangerous game. It's a game where black people have paid with their lives. And this is what. Rudy Giuliani. A racist. A liar. And a disgrace. America's disgrace. Said last night. On Fox Business. The city of Detroit probably had more voters than it
1: had citizens. I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but uh, all you have to do is look at, at statistical data and you can see that the fraud
0: was rampant and out of control. I'm exaggerating a bit. You heard it. Rudy Giuliani is a disgrace and he plays a very dangerous game as does the Republican party and Donald Trump and Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis and Emily Murphy who I'll get to in just a moment. Rudy Giuliani doesn't have to say black. Everybody knows that Detroit Is an 85% black city. You don't have to say black if you say the word Milwaukee, because everybody knows that Milwaukee has a substantially black population, certainly at least 40%. I'd say it's higher than that. That's the census of 2020 saying it's 38%, but it's surely higher than that. Milwaukee is a black city. Listen, there's no question about it. Atlanta, a black city. Philadelphia, a predominantly black city. This is the Republican Party in 2020 telling you That there might just be something a little bit wrong here. And what they are doing is ascribing criminality to black people. That is what they are doing. Well, let's take a looky here. Let's take a looky there. Let's take a look. Because you are three fifths of a person. And, you know, your vote is suspect. You are suspect. That is the racist mentality of the Republican party and of those white men in that party, whose aim it is to absolutely disenfranchise black voters. That is what is going on here. On the way to a coup, let's point at those black people because they are the ones. We don't want them to vote. We tried it in the sixties, we tried it in the seventies, in the eighties, and now oh we tried again this way in a different way in the nineties and in the year two thousand. Oh and now that Supreme Court decision in twenty thirteen, Shelby County versus Holder. Oh let's know. we don't have to talk to the federal government. We can do uh whatever we want. There's no pre clearance section four anymore because you know. Good old boys, like uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, who said that, well, there's no discrimination anymore because the proof is, is that we've had a black president, black people were able to vote in droves. And Barack Obama was elected president. And for, you know, hey, a second term to boot, there's no more discrimination in voting. I am paraphrasing what Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in his opinion of Shelby V. Holder. From June of 2013. You don't have to notify the federal government anymore as a result of that decision. If you are a state, you can go and do whatever you want when it comes to voting. And that's exactly what at least 20 states did. When they put all these voter ID laws in, who do you think those voter ID laws were targeting? These state legislatures in all of those states are predominantly Republican, if not all of those particular states, had Republican-controlled legislatures. And what they did was put voter ID laws in. And these voter ID laws targeted, guess who? Predominantly black voters. He had to have this ID. He had to have that ID. He had to have this happen. He had to have that happen. Driver's licenses, which many black people do not have. Some black people do, but many do not. It targeted the elderly. It targeted the poor. It targeted people who do not speak English as a first language. These voter ID laws disenfranchised thousands upon hundreds of thousands of black voters. So when you hear Rudy Giuliani talking about exaggerations, lying before courtrooms and why the heck hasn't his bar license been yanked from him? Lying and publicly screaming about fraud and then going into court and telling a judge well this isn't a fraud case because he knows his bar license would be yanked from him if he lied before a court then you know that Rudy Giuliani especially when it comes to Black voters is playing the most dangerous game. Welcome back. Emily Murphy is somebody that will go down in the history books as someone who obstructed democracy for 16 days as an administrator in the GSA, a government agency that is responsible for providing the resources, monetary and otherwise, to help transition of power in government in the United States. Stood by, she stood by, watched, did nothing, sat on her hands. As a nation of voters had cast their vote and had already cast their vote and said exactly what they believed. Emily Murphy has no excuse and it doesn't matter about Donald Trump because vis-a-vis Emily Murphy. She had the sole power and authority vested in her in her position at the GSA to do what was right. And she whiffed, struck out. She scored an own goal. Emily Murphy is one of the enemies of democracy. She joins Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump and the Republican party. In this wholesale effort, this coup attempt, which failed on this occasion, it failed on this occasion. But you know they're going to try again. Emily Murphy exercised what a lot of people in power, specifically a lot of white people in power do. When they are challenged, victimhood, persecution, play the violin. those are the devices upon which and by which that these things happen. During these 16 days, we had people in quotes in magazine articles, newspaper articles. Emily just wants to do this. Emily just wants to do that. She has no power. It's not in her control. Oh, she got death threats. Oh. I've had death threats. I'm not in power. Oh, Emily. Did this, and she's a good person, and just for the good. Oh, and her family is so nice. This is something that happens, particularly when it's about the country being under attack from tyrannical people. When we had a Supreme Court nominee in Amy Coney Barrett. The similar things were being peddled to us. Oh, her family is so nice. Oh, and look. As a white woman, she adopted two black kids from Haiti. Ooh. Oh, and she has a child who has Down syndrome. And, you know, she does all this good work. Oh, she wouldn't hurt to fly. Look at her family. I mean, no, she's not racist, look at her family. And at the time when this was going on back in September at the uh, Garden of COVID event at the Rose Garden, you remember that event, Saturday, September the 26th, 2020. The one where at least eight people ended up contracting coronavirus, no mask, Three hundred people clustered in a tiny space for a couple of hours. I mean what inside and outside of the White House? What could possibly go wrong? Oh her family was so nice and you know, it's not her family that's the issue. It's not that she adopted two black children that's the issue. It's not that she has a child with Down syndrome that's the issue. It's her views. That will disenfranchise lots of black people. That's an issue. It's her views. That will take away a woman's right to choose in this country. Black women, white women, Latinas, Asians, Native Americans. Women period. All kinds of women. Their right to choose. Is now under threat. Because a woman. Was put on the Supreme Court. In very dubious circumstances, I might add. To do just that. If you are someone who uses the Affordable Care Act, your Affordable Care Act may no longer be there by the time we get to next June. And the Supreme Court may, may, make a decision to get rid of the whole darn thing. Oh, but she adopted two black children. All of this is optics. All of this is, well, you know, I'm gonna mitigate the damage because I know that Americans are bamboozled by celebrity and picturesque visions and the white picket fence. Oh, isn't she nice? Isn't he lovely? Oh my goodness, he married a black woman, he married a Latina, he married this, he married that. Oh, he's such a nice family man. You know Brett Kavanaugh? He's a nice family man. He didn't, uh, yeah, nah, not him. He didn't assault any women when he was in college or high school. He didn't jump on top of a woman when when he was in high school or college and he was in some frat house. No, he didn't do that. Look at the man. He's decent. He's got a loving wife. And you know, he's got two or three kids. Oh, aren't they cute? Ted Yoho, Florida. Called uh, Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. A quote, excuse my language, fucking bitch, In quote. Oh, but isn't Ted Yoho such a lovely darling? You know, he's got a wife and two daughters and he gets up there on the, uh, in the house floor and says, and he did say this this year. Oh, you know, I've got two lovely daughters and my wife and I would never, oh, I, I just, I would never. That's not the kind of thing that I would. And as, as I've talked about this before, AOC said, short for Congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Having daughters. Does not make you virtuous. Having a loving wife. This is me now saying this. Having a loving wife. Does not make you virtuous. It is you. And your actions. That determine. What kind of a person you are. In the world what kind of a person you are to yourself, what kind of a person you are to your family. Do not hitch this on your wife or your husband or your children or specifically your daughters. Take accountability for your actions. And this is why Emily Murphy is not going to be remembered fondly. No, I am not for the death threats. No, I am not for the misogynistic attacks on Emily Murphy. No, I am not for any of that. What I am also not for is the excuse making and the patriarchal bootlicking that Emily Murphy and a number of white women do when it comes to power. And when it comes to power and patriarchy versus doing the right thing, you will find that a lot of white women go with the patriarchy and the power. Just ask black women. Just ask black women in 1920, 1918. Just ask anybody since then. There are no excuses to be made for Emily Murphy or anyone who stands in the way of democracy, who stands in the way of the American voter, who spoke loudly and clearly in this presidential election, this general election. 80 million people voted for Joe Biden, and that count is still growing. It's very close to 80 million right now. Joe Biden has over 6.1 million votes more than Donald Trump does. He won 306 electoral college votes. And he has a nearly four percentage point lead. This is a comprehensive victory. This is, in in my view, a landslide. Now, it's not a landslide of 1964 with LBJ winning, what, 49 states over Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater won one state, Arizona. It's not the landslide of Ronald Reagan over uh, over Walter Mondale back in, uh, what, 1984. It's not a landslide like that. But. It is a convincing victory. And when you have 80 million people vote for you and you have the most votes to your name in the history of the presidency, no one in the history of this country has received more votes in a presidential election than Joe Biden has. And when you have an election where you're leading by over 6 million votes and at the time you were leading by over 4 million votes when this was called more than two weeks ago, And you have Emily Murphy and the Republican Party and Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all these other people blocking you. That is a coup attempt. And you are an enemy of democracy.
2: Our plan had been... Uh, what we call "Safe Street, Safe City," mm-hmm. and uh, Ray Kelly was the first deputy police commissioner under Dr. Lee Patrick Brown, as i love to call him. Who, <laughs> who was, who, I remember uh, that it was always Dr. You? Lee P. Brown <laughs> at press conferences. But he was—he uh, he had the 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 idea that we ought to have what we call community policing, right. and uh, and Ray uh, helped produce a report. Was like a, a phone book thick uh, on, on what we needed, and we recognized that you can't simply have more police officers. You have to have all the related areas. If you have more police officers, it means you got to have more people in probation and more in legal aid, and et cetera, et cetera. And our our report, uh, the, the the plan ultimately was called "Safe Street, Safe City." Subtitle: Cops and Kids. Mm-hmm. And um, we we got a lot of wonderful things done some of which exist even today welcome back that was the voice
0: of david dinkins the former mayor of new york city david dinkins passed away at the age of 93 he passed away yesterday i believe it was and he was someone who is a venerable figure on the new york Political stage, particularly in New York City. David Dinkins was the first African American mayor of New York City. He became the first mayor of the first black mayor of New York City when he won an election over none other than Rudy Giuliani in 1989, a fairly close election, but he won, which is what counts. David Dinkins won that election in 1989 during a year of tumult and unrest. Well, not really unrest, but a lot of unrest in the media. That year, 1989, you had what happened to the Central Park jogger, the Exonerated Five, who were demonized, of course, at the time by New York City media and media everywhere. And then, of course, you had the killing of Yusuf Hawkins that year, a young black man who was just coming along with his friends to go to Bensonhurst to answer an ad a, for a used car. And Yusuf Hawkins, the young black man, 16 years old, he wasn't a man, he's 16, he's a kid, murdered. Shot in the heart at point blank range by a white man in the middle of a mob of 32 white men in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. That year, 1989, August of that year. And then came the election. And I can say that I was very happy that David Dinkins ended up winning that election over Rudy Giuliani. It was a bitter election. Rudy Giuliani doing the same racist things that he's doing now. Rallying the police of NYPD as if they were some kind of lynch mob. Holding rallies and shouting the N-word outside of, Gracie, uh, outside of City Hall having people try to intimidate the mayor or the uh, certainly, certainly try to harangue him. And it was just ridiculous. But I just want to focus back on David Dinkins. David Dinkins was New York City's first black mayor. He served for one term. He was someone who was a big time player in the New York Democratic clubhouse, if you will. Somebody who was a figure who was widely respected. Somebody who was disrespected by Rudy Giuliani and others, the racist lot. David Dinkins was someone who loved his tennis, did he ever? Played the game, watched the game, could be seen at the U.S. Open at Flushing Meadow pretty much every year, you could guarantee. That Mayor David Dinkins would be a spectator, would be caught on camera, courtside, calmly watching the tennis that was unfolding in front of him. I got to meet David Dinkins, David Norman Dinkins, years and years ago now. I forget which year. It was sometime in the 1980s, maybe in the 1990s. I actually do not remember But when I met him, he was kind, he was warm, he was a gentleman and he had a quiet grace about him. The kind eyes that he had, the refinement, the dapper look, the wisdom, he carried himself a certain way. And I didn't agree with everything that David Dinkins said or did. But one thing that no one can disagree on is that David Dinkins was a true giant of New York City politics. Somebody who really did believe in letting the people's voices be heard. And I will miss him. Rest in power, kind sir. Rest in power.
3: Thank you for taking the time to hear my testimony. The law states that you shall certify the results. As you have done, I will remind you that you are not in the role of investigator or adjudicator And uh, by arrogating for yourselves that power, uh, you are usurping power uh, that you don't have. And with all this playing coy and making indications that you will deadlock the board uh, is another usurpation of that power. There is no credible evidence that a single vote was fraudulently cast. These wild allegations on the part of Mr. Giuliani and company are as ridiculous as they are false. And it is a sad day for American democracy when these baseless unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated allegations can create enough doubt to subvert the process. Uh, This is not even getting into the implications of systemic racism and white supremacy of some of the board members desire to exclude Detroit votes. Uh, and that calling into question this routine process, giving the indication that you are amenable to taking these wild unsubstantiated claims as plausible simply because they serve partisan interests is very disturbing. I'm a Democrat. And when we lost in 2016 in Michigan, we organized ourselves and we got Americans to change their minds and vote for our party because that's what you do. You don't try to subvert the process through these arcane methods. That uh, is, is not American. That's frankly un-American. Uh, And it should be denounced in the strongest possible terms. Uh, So in that regard, uh, I'm happy for the board members who did vote to certify uh, and unhappy uh, with the board members who did not.
0: That was just one of the voices from yesterday's Michigan Board of State Canvases public comments event that took place for hours and hours and hours yesterday, the Michigan board of state Canvasses heard from members of the public, heard from county clerks across Michigan, heard from poll watchers and poll observers and poll workers. heard from Democrats, Republicans, independents, non-partisans. And 99% of them, very close to that at least, testified that there was no voter fraud, no irregularities, nothing at all, and that the poor workers were going out of their way to help Republican observers of the vote counts and also of the polls on the day of you're going to be hearing from more of the people that you just heard from and they sound just the same in terms of what they're saying not how they actually sound but in terms of what they're saying to you this is exactly what the American public and actually everybody around the world, because people around the world were actually watching this hearing. I spent a little bit of time yesterday out of my day, out of my work day, watching this hearing. And I was captivated by it, quite frankly. Not so much by the shenanigans of the Michigan Republicans, the one Republican in that state canvas board, who said, well, I'm not going to vote for certification. He abstained. Norman Schinkel. But I'll get to him in a moment, by the way. But I was captivated by the person after person. There were more than 500 people who participated in the public comments section of the certification process. And nearly all of them, law students, Everyday voters, poll workers, as I just said, poll watchers, poll observers, they all said that there was no fraud and that what they saw, many of them, well, were Republican shenanigans. I'll put it like that, because I think the people that you're going to be hearing from here will say it much, much better than I could ever say it. They were eyewitnesses to this and you'll hear them. So when I talked earlier about Republicans talking about voter fraud, they're the ones doing it. When I talked about Republicans examining every nook and cranny, they're the ones who are looking to steal votes. You're going to hear about this from the people themselves of Michigan. And you'll hear about them in a few minutes. But I want to go back here two things. Well, one, the Michigan Board of State Canvassers yesterday certified the votes of the people of Michigan. And they did so on a four-person board by three votes to zero. Three votes are all that is needed out of the four people on that canvassing board to certify the election results from the general election that just happened. The reason why it was three votes to nothing. On a four person board. Is because the Republican. Norman Schinkel. Voted to abstain. The two Democrats on the board voted yes to certification. The other Republican. Aaron Van Langeveld. Voted yes. Yes. He did his job, did the right thing, and the other Republican, Norm Schenkel, did not. Let me tell you something about Norman Schenkel. This is a political lifer. He is a Republican who, back in 2012, along with another Republican on the canvassing board at the time, voted to throw out about, I believe it was half a million signatures. Half a million voter signatures were thrown out to overturn the emergency manager's law that then governor Rick Snyder used, the Republican governor of Michigan at the time, that ended up killing and poisoning thousands upon thousands of people in Flint, Michigan. Now, Flint is at least 75% black. Black kids were poisoned with lead. And it was largely due to this emergency manager law, which gave power to private people, private businessmen, hired at the behest of the governor at the time, Rick Snyder, to do the duties of government agencies. And that's what the emergency managing law essentially was. It gave the governor the permission to get rid of the state administrators and put and replace them with these private people of his own choosing. Now there were at least 500,000 voter signatures that were put forth as a, uh, to override this law. And Norman Shingle voted to overturn that, to throw out the signatures. And why did he do that? And what basis did he do it? Because the font was too big on the signatures. The font was size 14. And that was the reason that he voted to throw out the signatures. And by the way, that worked. The signatures were literally thrown out. I am not making that up. I've got no reason to, I've got no reason to. That is who Norman Schinkel is. That is the Norman Schinkel. The same Norman Shingle who voted to abstain yesterday during the certification of the votes. It's really a very, very sad thing, but it is not surprising. It is not surprising. Norman Schenkel. And many people around the United States and beyond. Did not know about him and his background. And by the way, it was 250,000 signatures, not 500,000. But that is... Beyond the point. The point is is that. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Of voters. Were. Being disenfranchised. By the way. I, I should actually add another correction here. Their. Reasons for. He, his and his fellow Republican cohorts, reasons for voting and invalidating the signatures, throwing them out, was that the font size was not 14. I said it was 14 and too big. It was the opposite. It was not 14 point. Even though, by the way, it actually was. Oh, and oh, the, the font size. Was smaller than the law required. That's what they ruled. I mean this is just. Outrageous. This is what the Republican Party does. And because I believe there was a majority. In the state canvassing board at that time. The Republicans won the day. So they voted to throw out. These 250,000 signatures that would have actually served for a ballot initiative that would have overturned that emergency manager law that I just mentioned. Can you imagine what and how miserable a person has to be to actually rule that the font size of a particular letter of the alphabet was smaller Than what state law required? How miserable do you have to be? How empty must you be to actually rule that way and throw out 250,000 signatures by voters? By the people, Norm Schenkel is a disgrace.
4: I'm a law student at the University of Michigan and a resident of Ann Arbor. On November 4th, I spent over 12 hours inside the TCF Center observing the absentee ballot count as a challenger for the Democrats. In that time, I saw nothing but professionalism and dedication from the election workers and their supervisors, despite the frequent harassment they received from Republican challengers. Far from being denied access, these challengers made their presence known by making aggressive comments, shouting en masse to stop the count and hovering directly over election workers' shoulders in violation of social distancing mandates. My experience at the TCF Center is best summed up by one interaction I had with a Republican challenger who, similar to Ms. Temkin's experience, was challenging every single ballot being counted. I explained that permissible challenges required good reason to believe that that particular voter was ineligible and therefore indiscriminately challenging all ballots was not allowed under Michigan law. She looked me in the eye and responded, I don't care what the law says. The Republican Party told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Despite what Republican Party officials might say, the law was clear on November 4th, and the law is clear today. The Secretary of State has confirmed that the election was conducted fairly, securely, and transparently, and all 83 counties have now certified their election results.
5: I am a Detroit voter, and our voices have been negated in the past, most notably with the emergency management vote and our overwhelming objection to the Detroit bankruptcy. I've been here most of my life, a third generation. As a young girl, I saw droves of white families abandon their beautiful homes, churches, and schools just because families with different skin colors began to live their dreams of homeownership. Much of the tax base left with those white families leaving Detroit in poverty for years because of that abandonment. It astonishes me to today to see a whole race of people leave their homes unforced just to maintain all white communities. I love my neighborhood and I love my neighbors. I would not take that anything different. During this 2016 administration, people in Detroit watched for four long years a president and a party that stole, grifted, cheated, and broke the law without being held accountable for any of it. All of this while black and brown people are being charged, locked up, separated, and killed by dishonorable people in power. It is hard for us Detroiters to believe that so many people in this country looked at what has been going on, but cannot see what is so clear to the majority of us. Our reaction was to come out and vote this man out of office to try and get back to a rule of law that will be fair and just for all people. My advice for the people of Livonia gross point or any of the surrounding suburbs is that if you wanted to influence the vote here, you should never have left or you should move here. That is your opportunity. We, the people have so much work to do. Not just to get back to where we were, but to continue to build a more perfect union where all of us are equal. Your job is to certify the vote and there will be no rest until it's done and done properly. I am the Ingham County Clerk
6: and thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm here to stand up for the 145,569 voters who voted in Ingham County, but also the over 5.5 million Michiganders who cast their votes earlier this month. I'm here to tell you in no uncertain terms that you must certify the results of the November general election. It is the job of the 83 county boards of canvassers, not the state, to certify the vote totals within their jurisdiction. The state does not get to do the county's job under state law. Anything other than certification is unlawful power grab and would mean a wholesale disenfranchisement of the millions of Michigan voters, including those right here in Ingham County. Further, if you are presented with a complete returns by the Secretary of State, you do not have the ability to postpone the certification. Your duties are ministerial and mandatory under Michigan election law. This assault on Michigan's democratic process has come from many directions over the last three weeks. But it all stems from the same source, President Trump. Now he is pressuring our elected and appointed representatives to bend to his will and commit acts that will be remembered as a subversion of the free and fair elections, the likes of which our state and our country has never seen before. It's been reported in the news that at least one of you is considering voting to not certify the election today. I find this shocking and disgusting. The time for political games is over. The eyes of our nation are on the four of you today. They are watching and they are waiting. A failure to certify these election results will signal to the country that democracy is dying in Michigan. If you choose today not to certify the November 3rd general election, not only only will you be violating your oath of office, you will be effectively slapping each and every election official, precinct worker, election worker, election volunteer in the face in disenfranchising every Michigan voter, many of whom risk their health and safety to exercise their right to vote. Further, you will say to the world that Michigan is buying into idiotic and unfounded, unfounded conspiracies. Michigan should stand proud. We have some of the safest and most secure elections in the nation. I'm a third-year law student at the University of Michigan, and on November
7: 4, 2020, I served as a nonpartisan challenger with credentials from the Lawyers' Committee for Civil Rights at the TCF Center in Detroit, where I observed absentee vote counting. I am here today to tell you what I saw firsthand as a nonpartisan challenger, and I am also here as a citizen and voter to urge you to fulfill your duty as a board and to honor the will of the people of this state. I spent approximately noon until 7 PM at the TCF Center, And I could say many things about what I saw in Detroit that day, but with my limited time, I would like to hone in on what I believe to be the most egregious interference that I witnessed on that date by Republican challengers. I spent much of the afternoon at one table, and sometime between approximately 2.30 and 3 p.m. word got around that a lawsuit had been filed. Shortly thereafter, the Republican challenger at my table communicated that she would be challenging every ballot moving forward. Challengers are only supposed to raise an objection when they have a good faith belief that there is an error or issue with the ballot in front of them. This blanket challenge was not made in good faith. There was no articulable reason given for these ballots to be thrown out. The only way to describe this was an effort to suppress the votes of a predominantly Black and presumably Democratic electorate. It was stunning to see such a large-scale effort to disenfranchise voters And it has been even more disheartening to witness what has followed, repeated attempts to undermine the democratic process.
0: You just heard there from a few more people who testified and gave their opinions and spoke about their experiences um, during the public comments testimony yesterday at the Michigan Board of State canvassers who formally certified the election results for the state of Michigan and let it be known that Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by 154,000 votes. In fact, by more than 154,000 votes. And again, I want you also to remember that last week in Wayne County, home to Detroit, home to an 80% black population, last week, two Republicans on that Wayne County canvassing board initially voted not to certify the results of Detroit, not the whole county, but specifically Detroit, a part of the county. These two white Republicans were completely okay. With voting to certify everything else in Wayne County. But they were not okay. With certifying Detroit. And on that basis. They voted not to certify the election results in Wayne County. Livonia County, or Livonia, which is not far, which is pretty much next door, is a predominantly white area. These two white Republicans had no problem certifying them. No, no, they had no problem with that. And apparently there were more problems in Livonia than they ever were anywhere else. But, you know, those are white voters. Monica Palmer and William Hartman are disgraces. Enemies to democracy and racists. Monica Palmer was one of those who testified yesterday. And she sounded like she was hopped up on speed or something. Again, like Emily Murphy and Monica Palmer is a white woman. And I say that because again... When push comes to shove, many white women, particularly white women in power, will side with the patriarchy and not with the good of the people. And there are white women who aren't in power who will do that too. But there are many white women who will do this. And just like Emily Murphy, it was the victimhood. Oh, I've received death threats. I've received this. I've rec- And again, I'm not condoning death threats or any kind of misogyny or anything like that. I think it's disgusting. That was the first thing, though, that was f- coming out of. The verbalizations. Of Monica Palmer. Oh, and. Oh yeah, she's the chair of the Wayne County Canvassing Board, Republican. Oh, and oh, I got these threats and my daughter was attacked and oh, dearie me and oh my gosh and oh, I sent an affidavit and oh, oh, oh. Look. All of the things you are saying do not muddy the waters on the evil that you did. How you can sit there you and William Hartman, how the both of you can sit there and say, oh, you know, we didn't have a problem with Wayne County. It was just Detroit in Wayne County. Just those black people. There was no evidence of any fraud. And they knew it. This isn't about even doing Donald Trump's bidding. It is about a party, a political party, that is not only criminal they are soulless they are fascist they would be right at home in nazi germany and thank god the american public did what i knew that they would do what i predicted they would do last april of this year april the 20 april 2020 I wrote about this, that this was going to be a landslide. It was going to be on the order of 1932. Not quite, but it was It was getting there. It eventually did swing that way. And when all is said and done, Joe Biden's going to have close to a 7 million vote lead. And William Hartman should hang his head in shame. You call yourself someone who cares about democracy... What a disgrace you are. Absolute disgrace. I'm glad that the Michigan Board of State Canvassers did the right thing because they were always going to. A lot of this is show for the Republicans, but it is really a dangerous game that they are playing. It's a criminal game and it's not funny. Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by 154,000 plus votes. And lawsuit after lawsuit brought by Donald Trump and the Republicans was thrown out of court, laughed out of court, and sometimes with contempt by these federal judges. Pennsylvania certified their vote yesterday as well. And there's still going to be a Georgia recount. In fact, that Georgia recount is beginning right now as I speak to you. And by the time you finish listening to this, certainly if you're listening to it on the 24th of November 2020, that count will be in full process, it will be ongoing. Another recount. It would be the third time. But is it really a recount? I would venture to say that it is not. It is an attempt to reinforce this racist belief that those voters in Georgia, the black ones, there's something suspicious about them. There's something, eh, you know, you go in a store and you see a black person walk in. And yeah, now you're following them around the store. This is what the Republican Party is doing. Following black voters around. After the fact. After they've cast their ballots. That's what this is, dear listener. I'm going to sniff around. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that black voter. That black. Yeah, and the, there's something about these people. I don't know what it is. They just, they just. Nah, yeah, I don't know about them. This is the racist thinking that permeates not just the Republican Party, but it permeates a large swath, a vast swath of white Americans and white people in other countries. There is that little bell that goes off. In many of a white person's minds. And I'm not saying every single one. Not even close. But I am saying a sizable majority. I don't have to be inside somebody's head to know this. It is the way one behaves. It is the way one behaves toward me. When I walk down the street. When I walk into a store. When any black person walks into a place In a space. In an area. Being themselves. And the white reaction. In many instances. Is palpable. You want to know why. Nearly 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. This time around. That. What I just said. Is a part of the reason why. There are people who, no matter what happens, is going, are going to sit there and say, oh, this, this is an a illegitimate election. The only illegitimacies are from the Republicans who practice voter suppression. Who have done so for many a year. And who suppressed votes in states across this country. Even this time. Even though there's no voter fraud. That doesn't mean that there wasn't voter suppression. There are two very different things. Because while it is true that every election official. That the New York Times spoke to in all 50 states. Said to you said to the New York Times that there was no election fraud, no voter fraud whatsoever, no instances of it. They didn't say that there wasn't any voter suppression. Voter suppression is what the Republicans do best. And they also do voter fraud as well. Again, it is indeed a most dangerous game. And what we have to do about this is to prosecute people, prosecute people, sue them. And the NAACP Legal and Educational Fund is doing that. Legal Defense and Educational Fund, I believe. Sherilyn Eiffel, who is the executive director of that fund, has issued a lawsuit against Donald Trump personally, against the Trump campaign, and against various Republicans in these states across the country where black people were being challenged, their vote was being challenged as a violation of Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The way forward is with lawsuits like this one from Sherilyn Eiffel and the NAACP Legal Education and Defense Fund. This is exactly what we need to do. All these garbage lawsuits that Donald Trump was throwing at all of these places, just garbage, just garbage. These legal challenges that meant nothing because there was nothing. It was a way to waste his supporters money. And they'll still give gladly give dollars to him now. All of this nonsense tied up courts, tied up democracy, was a coup attempt. Was a racist attack on black voters. That's what this was. And the way to stop this. And kill this noise as it were. Would be to issue. Lawsuits like the one. That Sherilyn Eiffel has. And we need to start changing laws. If you want an agenda item. To push the Biden-Harris administration on let that be one of your items voting rights but you know what they can't do a whole lot about this except on the federal level and barely that unless you have a democratic senate and that means right now as we move to now 57 days left 57 days remaining of this criminal administration. 57 days until Donald Trump will really be uh, wearing depends, diapers, depends, garments, undergarments. And my profound apologies to those who do wear them. But Donald Trump will be needing plenty of depends, plenty of those once the clock strikes 12.01 p.m. Eastern time on January the 20th, 2021. Investigations are being done in New York State by the Attorney General Tish James in New York and in the city of New York by the Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance on Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, his taxes and everything else. That is what this is all about as well. And I hope that Joe Biden does not, and I talked about this in a recent episode, I hope he does not run away from a responsibility to prosecute these people or to at least investigate them. That's what you have to do. Because what will happen is if you don't, you will have another administration down the road, a Republican one. Isn't it always the Republicans, almost always, who will come back and do something worse than this? And every administration that turns its back on criminality is complicit with it. I've talked about agenda items. I've talked about it many times here. And I've always said, I've said it for a long time. We need to form an agenda plan as we get toward January the 20th. One of those things is going to have to be voting rights. Something like this. We need strong voting rights laws in this country. And we need a Democratic Senate, which means in Georgia, you have to get out there and vote for John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock. The deadline to register to vote in Georgia is December the 7th. Early voting in person begins on December the 14th. So if you need to get an early voting ballot, because people I've been told uh, by some Georgia voters, myself, I've personally been told this, that they have started mailing in their ballots. If you want to request a ballot, there is a web address for doing so. I will put it in the liner notes of this episode. If you are in Georgia, please vote and vote Ossoff and vote Raphael Warnock. Very, very important that you do that. I know that Thanksgiving's coming up, it's two days away. But I don't think that this whole thing that's happened these 16 days helps the Republicans at all. But it is important that the voters in Georgia understand this and then go and vote accordingly for the two Democrats because that's the key here as to whether the Biden Harris. Administration is going to be a success, a mediocrity, or a nothing burger. And it's going to be very important to get those two gentlemen into the United States Senate so that we can see a strengthening of voting laws, so that we can see possibly an amendment to the Constitution, so that we can try to get rid of the Electoral College, so that we can make the national popular vote the mechanism by which someone wins or loses an election. So that we don't have these voter suppression efforts. So we don't have these Republicans challenging every freaking vote. This is what we need to do. And we really need to coalesce behind an agenda that also includes this and put pressure on the people in power and join up with other organizations who are part of this fight or and as well begin your own organization coalesce amongst people you know make an open zoom call get on social media have meetings talk about these things just talk about them in just a general meeting for half an hour Talk about your feelings about these things. What you've been feeling these last 16 days and prior to that. Talk about these issues. Agree or disagree. Have a conversation. Have a dispute. Spirited, but nothing, you know, where you're, you know, screaming and yelling at each other. Yelling all the obscenities you can yell. That's for Twitter. That's for Twitter, right? I mean, maybe not. Actually, I've talked about that too. But these are the things that you and I can do. We can do this right now. So let's do this, please. Let's do this because this is important. We cannot rest now. A lot of this noise and this distraction takes the eye off the ball. But I don't think that voters in Georgia are going to be doing that. They've just witnessed an attack on their state, an attack on Black voters in their state. And I think that's only going to energize Democratic voters, by the way. Sure, there will be Republican voters who will turn out. They're going to. In fact, they're going to turn out, I think, in pretty substantial numbers. Because in January, when it's cold in Georgia, and, you know, you've got the Christmas hangover or the Hanukkah, and a, you know, you've just celebrated Hanukkah and you, you've just finished celebrating uh Kwanzaa, you know, uh, and the Muslim holiday as well. That and I forget the name of it. I'm sorry. And you've just celebrated those those holidays, those those uh, occasions. Ah, oh, and bang! It's January fifth. Voters will have to be alert, and I think they will be. So make sure you go to elect John, that's E L E C T J O N dot com and go to Warnockforgeorgia.com or vote Warnock V O T E W A R N O C K Vote as well will do. Donate, volunteer, phone bank, text back for both of these gentlemen. Please, it's very important. Very important. These lawsuits this, that Cheryl and Eiffel is, is doing, I mean, this is what we need to do. And the only way that this garbage stops from the Republicans, the only way that all of these attacks on black voters stop, and that the only way that democracy as fragile as it is continues on is two things actually one that we continue to vote and participate and two that these people who are doing all of this who are trying to attack and who are attacking black voters and purging their vote and scrutinizing every little thing about a vote that was cast is to put these people behind bars to prosecute them and put them behind bars and change these laws The reason why this is happening in the first place is that there is no officially constitutionally enshrined right to vote. Nowhere in the Constitution will you ever see the words, you have a right to vote. It says that the right to vote will not be infringed by race, sex, national origin, but it does not say anywhere that you have the right to vote. There is no amendment in the Constitution that explicitly says that at all. You won't find it. Take a look at the amendments right now. You won't find it anywhere. Because it's not there. What we need to do is have a right to vote nationally. And that needs to be made into a constitutional amendment. If you want an agenda item, put that on your agenda. And, and push that to these Democratic senators. Push that to the House. Push that to Biden and Harris. That transition now is going to get underway, is underway as I speak, in earnest. It it really is now. The the cabinet positions are being named every day. We saw, we heard about them all yesterday, some of the big ones. Congratulations, by the way, to, uh, I believe it's Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Congratulations to her. She uh, is, is a diplomat. She's had just incredible experience for four, 35 plus years of experience serving globally, African countries and everywhere else. And now she's named as the UN amba- U.S. ambassador to the U.N. It's really well deserved for her. And hopefully one day she'll be Secretary of State. She is just amazing. I learned about her yesterday, read up on her and excellent congratulations to her and to everybody else who was named. And I hope that there are some uh, progressive voices that we eventually get to see in that cabinet. We'll see, we'll see. But um, there's no denying that all of these people so far are experienced, they're experts, they've had so much, and they actually have qualifications unlike the garbage that you've seen these last four years. People illegally being appointed to the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. This stuff needs to be prosecuted, People who are putting people in cages, separating them from their families. You mean no one's going to look back at that and investigate it at the very minimum? These are crimes against humanity. They're not going to be even looked at. That's an agenda item. That's an agenda item to push Biden and Harris on. But again, this Republican steal, these coup attempts, And you might dare say that 2000 was a coup. When you think about it, the George W. Bush Al Gore election, that was a coup. Supreme Court making this bizarre and unusual decision to trample state rights, trample the 10th Amendment. That's not a coup to you. You purged. 90,000, at least, black vote, at least 90,000 black voters off the voting rolls who should not have ever been purged. We need laws to, to deal with this. This is criminal, and it needs to be codified into law in these state legislatures too, which means you have to vote locally, which means that every election you must vote in to get rid of these Republican legislators who are gumming up the works, who are controlling these legislators, legislatures and doing these illegal things and the only way you get rid of all of this is you vote democratic legislators in i told you about what happened in pennsylvania where you had these republicans infected with coronavirus this year who are legislators who are going into meetings with the democratic legislators and not telling them that they've got covid 19 i played you the audio from brian sims one of the democratic legislators played it several times on this podcast the answer is, is that we have to get activated not just at the polls but also when the election isn't going on and it's got to be every election not just the big one like we've just had but the midterms but the special elections the local elections the state elections that is where the bread and butter is everybody all politics are local And we have to have that kind of a mentality as well. The only way this kind of criminality stops is when we keep voting and when there are laws that put people behind bars for doing this. For running fake candidates that don't exist, that you've never ever seen, that have never ever campaigned in Florida. The ones that Drew Griffin talked about in his special investigation. The only reason this stuff happens is because there's no law against it, but it's clearly criminal. I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but it's obviously criminal conduct, even though the law's not in place. In what universe does anybody think it's okay to do this, apart from the Republicans and their supporters? These are crimes. Intimidating people, a crime. Oh, I'm going to chase after this voter and I'm going to scream. This stuff should not be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed. And what we need to do is focus on that because you're going to have this problem again in 2022 in the midterms. Very important year for midterms, 2022. 2024 with the next presidential election, I know. We've just had one. But four years is going to come around again. I mean, it's going to come around again like this. And I'm telling you, before you know it, we will be back here again. We need to, once and for all, get laws in place. Get a Senate in place that can get some Supreme Court justices on it that will tilt this balance back from the brink we need to do something about this and this is how we do it you strategize you organize you present agenda you you discuss it you have a you build a movement you join other organizations you run for office you, you get out in the street, whatever you're comfortable with, but please do something. Do not sit back. And I get it. Everybody doesn't have the time, but just 10 minutes of your time. Donating some money doesn't take 10 minutes. Writing an email doesn't take 10 minutes, depends on how long it is. Make your voice heard. Let your constituents, uh, let your uh, representative and your senators know. That you are here let your voice be heard not just at the voting booth but when you're not voting when there isn't an election make phone calls that doesn't take 10 minutes to do call your senator tell your senator yes I agree with you on this tell your senator no I don't agree with you on that that's what this process is it is a continuation and that's what we have to be educated to do more of so let's do it people. Let's get this done. And let's end this criminality from the Republicans and anybody else that is attacking black voters or attacking any other kind of voter. Black voters have always been the source of attack by Dixiecrat politicians and Republican politicians. Always And they have the state apparatus on their side to exact a heavy price. And they have white mobs, white murderous mobs, who have done the same. Study history. It's right there if you choose to look. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.:
8: I am a trustee for Delta Township, but I am speaking for myself. I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for doing your job today. I appreciate what you did. And in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, it said, he said, "And so we shall have to do more than register and more than vote. We shall have to create leaders who embody virtues we can respect." who have moral and ethical principles we can applaud with. So today, I thank you for being the leaders that we can respect. I thank you for your moral and ethical principles as you acted on behalf of the voice of the voters of Michigan. And I wanna make sure that the reason it's so important that you did what you did today is because you're gonna allow the new elected officials to focus on the major and not the minor. The majors for me, there are two, poverty, 16% of Michigan residents, uh, including children and seniors, live in poverty, homelessness. We have 8,575 homelessness on any given day. So your move today allows the new elected officials to focus on the major and not the minor.
9: This is Peggy. She was an older black woman who was in the Delray Senior Center on Grand uh, in southwest Detroit. She came into the community room, obviously blind, and she had made her way to the table with the help of another resident. Uh, One of my volunteers helped her fill out the forms for registration, as well as getting onto the permanent absentee ballot list and having her sign in the proper location. Um, We came back later, confirmed that she had voted, and she was so pleased. And this was the first time she had voted Uh, And it was this election where she wanted to have her voice heard. So uh, I was also at TCF. I want to reflect back that what Derek said is what I saw. It was a a chaos there to try and cause errors, uh, not to catch errors. And this whole process was a strategic to get it to you. And then to get it to the legislature, as was just mentioned by Wendy. Um, And if that happens, then you have negated Peggy's vote. And I hope you can live with
10: that. I'm a uh, student at the University of Michigan law school. I'm a resident in Ann Arbor and I'm a registered voter in Michigan. I've also served as a poll worker in Michigan. And on November 4th, I volunteered as a nonpartisan observer at the TCF center during the absentee ballot counting process. And I just wanna echo what Derek and Scott have said that I saw no fraud no impropriety on the part of the poll workers. Uh, I saw hundreds of professional, dedicated civil servants who were doing the important and, frankly, the mundane work that makes our democracy run, which is just counting the votes. And that so many people turned out in the middle of a global pandemic to serve our country is, I think, a sign of a healthy democracy. But, you know, it's, it's healthy only if those votes matter. And it's healthy only if their work matters. And it's healthy only if the gatekeepers, who are you, people like you, do your jobs. And as so many others have said today, uh, your job today is not a political exercise; it's a democratic one. And democracy is so much bigger than people's partisan identity. And Mr. Schenkel, you know, you've you seem kind of fixated on how many partisans are at each precinct, and what a sad and small view of democracy that is. The people have voted, the votes have been counted, and the votes have been certified, and you have the easy job of adding up the results and certifying the sum. Thank you.
11: I was a nonpartisan poll challenger at the TCF Center on November 3rd, uh, as well as a resident of, uh, of Ann Arbor. I'd like to point out first that the election workers and inspectors were exceptionally professional. Anytime time they were questioned or even faced downright accusations from GOP challengers, the supervisors were willing to answer every question and to make sure that everyone understood the process. When I was there, there were even more GOP challengers than Democratic or nonpartisan challengers by a decent margin. The only disruptions I observed the entire day were from GOP challengers who had difficulty following the rules around the duplication process. GOP challengers not respecting distance requirements and a challenger that requested an entire table's worth of ballots be thrown out because a poll worker wasn't wearing her name tag. They were denied. The bottom line was there was nothing irregular or fraudulent about what I observed at the TCF Center on November 3rd.